This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. Tonight we're going to be talking about, uh, really, kind of Irma, how we get started with this inner voice thing. I mean, um, in the in the psychology profession and in counseling, we talk about the inner child. Uh, you know, in, in Freudian psychology, we talk about the id and the ego and the superego, as if all of these kind of structures have voices uh, or they have some internal dialogue that's taking place. And, uh, and, and that's because, in fact, they do. And so, so today's show is going to really kind of be about about discussing how that comes about, how that develops, and um, and why it develops the way that it does uh, in terms of um, who gets the most station uh, as far as the voice is concerned. So when you and I, I always ask you this when you saw the topic, and we're going to be kind of layering this uh, weeks at a time as we talk about this inner dimension. Uh, what, what were your thoughts about these inner voices? Um, I had lots of different thoughts. Um, one of them that actually I didn't have until just now, I'm wondering, I know I've heard you talk about the divided self and that being um, guilt and shame. Um, do these inner voices, are they connected to kind of, the thoughts that kind of just race through our heads that creates a kind of um, identification and a feeling of um, there being two of us. Well, there's, you know, there's more than two, in fact. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think what, what I want folks to get about this idea of the inner voice is first of all, when does it begin and what is the largest influence on that? And of course, common sense would say that before language, we, you know, we don't have these voices yet. So somewhere between 16, 18 months as we begin to take on language uh, and we begin to start having a vocabulary, which then comes with a context for how we how we view ourselves in relationship to the world is when these inner voices begin. So it makes perfect sense that they would start out being family members. Mm-hmm. So uh, it really depends upon how many family members you have uh, when it gets to uh, what voices you incorporate. For example, one person might have a family where they have no mother, uh, but they have a father and a sister that's a big sister. And so she takes on the role of mom. And of course, dad is dad. And the child is is kind of integrating and internalizing the inner voices of these people. Uh, that's really kind of how it starts, that we that we kind of uh, internalize and remember and respond and react to uh, to these uh, to these senses of self and and their assessment of us, and so and so as I said before that um, uh, what happens what what creates an inner angst is when these voices are in conflict with one another. Uh, and by that, I mean, when there's an incongruence between what the heart knows and the ego believes uh, or what the heart knows and the ego is experiencing. Because that's the other thing that's happening in the earlier parts of our development, we're really not believing much, but we're having lots of experiences. And as these experiences accumulate, they then turn into beliefs. 
So in other words, if, if I'm being guilted or shamed by by my caretakers or, my, or by my environment, then I'm going to internalize the idea that that I must be not so love worthy, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And for some reason, oddly, I didn't make that connection that, of course, it would be initially our, our family's voice voices, um, you know, mainly our mom, dad, brothers, sisters, and then as we go along in, in life, teachers and, and uh, social environment. Yeah, so so these inner voices begin to be developed firstly by that. And what are we doing in those earlier stages, Irma? What are we, uh, when we are uh, finding language for the first time and we're finding um, that the sky is blue and and that uh, there's such a thing as rainbows and we're being taught about Easter bunnies and Santa Claus. What are we doing uh, at that time in our life if it isn't asking questions? Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, we're really asking about the why of so many things and we're trying to find the truth about the, about the things we're asking about. And yeah. so this is when the incongruence begins. And of course, you know, most parents, when their children are little, want to try to keep them innocent and as protected as much as possible uh, from the harsh realities or the harsh truths of the world around them. And so we kind of keep them cocooned for a while. And really, probably the turning point for a lot of people is daycare, if you have to put your child in daycare. Mm -hmm. And if you're fortunate enough to be a stay-home mom or a stay-home dad and be with your child longer than that, then maybe you're not going to get your first dose of the real world until kindergarten mm-hmm. or preschool, as they used to say. So, so, so the point is, is that we start out um, kind of asking why about a lot of things, and the and the response we get from the environment determines how much we keep asking. Mm-hmm. In other words, if we're not reinforced to ask questions, we'll stop asking. Mm-hmm. Or if we get punished or if we somehow get um, get told something that's false and then we find out later that it's false, you know, and we bring it to somebody's attention, then we might get in trouble. So so this business of um, of incongruence uh, is part of it. And so so if if there there are some absolutes about what it means to be born into this existence. And by that, I mean a spiritual being that is then kind of early on uh, having to adapt to a psychological existence. And the first absolute is, is anxiety. You know, a lot of people don't realize the natural state of the human ego is anxious. Uh, and, and, and this is part of the human experience. Why? Because the human ego is in a constant state of adaptation. And it's getting and it's evaluating how well it's doing. Mm hmm. And it's also being evaluated by the outside world how well it's doing. And so that natural state of worry is uh, is there. So that so that's one of the absolutes. Uh, and so the other thing that comes to mind is, is that if we don't have somebody that helps us calm the worry uh, and not be afraid of being afraid, then it will uh, literally turn into negative thinking. At what point do we um, stop trusting our feelings and our um, our heart as our guide and 
just go into um, listening to those inner voices and do those inner voices, even though they start out with um, being connected to the, the voices from the family, do they eventually turn into our own voice? That would be the parental hope, right? <laughs> so, yeah, the the interesting, guess, yeah. yeah, the interesting thing about that is, is that um, we when our, when we leave home and move into the public school system, we then get to kind of do reality testing on what we've been taught is true. We also get get to, to test our beliefs and or the beliefs of our family and how congruent or incongruent they are with uh, with the majority, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So in other words, until we leave home and go out into the world, we don't feel like we're different. <laughs> we feel like we're the same as the people around us. Is when we get into the world that we start feeling the differences. And so that that's a, those are transitional developmental stages that we all kind of go through. But to answer your question about do we ever get our own voice, that's what adolescence is about. Mm. So really, so really the pivotal time uh, around 11 or 12 years of age up to about the end of middle school and when we when we start to begin high school. Uh, so 14, 15, 15, 16 is when we start wanting to establish our own voice. Mm -hmm. and, and what we've done, uh, if we've been paying attention, is we've kind of let go of some of what we've been taught and we've incorporated some new things in from other people. Uh, and so we have kind of a, a smorgasbord of different ideas and thoughts. We don't really know yet a lot in adolescence, but we do know um, that there is incongruence and we do know that we want to resolve that somehow. In, in those teenage years, that's part of the um, rebellion that teenagers are doing. Uh, they're trying to get in touch with what voice is theirs. And yeah, so imagine what I want the listeners to get today on this business of where the inner voice comes from is, is that that really we are we are feeling in our bodies versus our brain, if you will, the questions that we're that we're asking. In other words, when we're asking questions about the why of the universe and the why of our lives, we're actually feeling that in our bodies and making a decision if we're going to actually store it in our brain is, is true. Mm -hmm. And so the, the question that we have spiritually very early on, and we don't get any help with this typically, which is why I wanted to talk about inner voices, mm -hmm. is do I serve the ego, the one that I grew up in and the one that I am growing and adapting with, or do I serve something else? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we don't get any guidance on that idea. First of all, what's the something else right. that, that we're going to be serving? And, uh, and of course, based upon the context of the soul's intent, it would be the soul in the heart or the soul and spirit of who you are. So we're naive to why we're trying to rationalize all that out. Mm -hmm. We don't have, we don't have a, 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 any maturity yet, any depth yet, as to why am, I, why am I asking questions? First of all, I know that it feels like I'm asking for independence and to be my own person, but it's even deeper than that. I'm asking because if I have an experience of my of my real compass, of my heart, and I've been encouraged by my family to trust that, then I'm asking because of that. Most of us don't get that, get that encouragement. So as a result, we're just asking for independence and for power or for autonomy in some way. 
Um, yeah. So, so it's, so it's, it's key to understand. And, and what I wanted folks to get today in this, and this broadcast is the inner voice and how inner voices are created is literally because of an adaptive angst of asking why. And we have courage in the beginning to ask why, because we have curiosity. We haven't got fear yet. We just have curiosity. And, and dependent upon our environment, independent upon the world we, we are kind of raised in at that period or not, our curiosity is snuffed out or our curiosity is encouraged. And if it's encouraged, then we're going to go into the school system asking questions. We're going to go to the school system asking why. We're going to be hungry to learn, mm-hmm. be hungry for education. Mm-hmm. If, if, if asking why was somehow suppressed or constricted in the family environment, uh, then we're not going to be raising our hand in school. We're not going to be asking questions. We're not going to be seeking the answers to, 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 to the why of life. Mm-hmm. Well, from a spiritual standpoint, that's huge because when you stop asking why about the big questions in life, mm-hmm. uh, and you literally are trapped on a psychological path mm-hmm. without asking why. And, uh, and of course, in, in a lot of spiritual communities, the, the, the argument would be, well, who are you to ask? Who are you to ask these big questions about mm-hmm. the universe and, and, and all these big things about life? And, and of course, the answer is who better, who better to ask? than the person that is studying their own self, working on understanding themselves. And, uh, and, it's, and it's a process. So I'm curious if, if you um, didn't have an experience of kind of that, that soul connection and it, it wasn't kind of nurtured in your family, when you do get um, to that place of asking why, how do you know when it's congruent with um, the soul or the ego? How would you know if that soul wasn't nurtured or there isn't a connection to it? How do you know um, where would the uh, being congruent come in? When you finally figure out that you're not seeking information as much as you are seeking a sensation. So in other words, um, you, you feel something when it's true. And you think something when it's right or wrong. And so there's a sensation that comes with truth when you feel it that, uh, that is, that is hard to argue against. And so, um, but, but the, the, the other part of the answer to that question, Irma, is, is that if you don't come from a supportive environment and you have been constricted on the asking of why or it's not been encouraged in you, it creates a shadow side, a wounded side. When you come into the culture, you come into the school system, you may not ask why. And so mm-hmm. you're not going to be seeking congruence because you have nothing to compare it against. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that um, what I want the, the folks to get is, is that we all come into the world asking why. Very simple questions early on you know why is the sky blue and where does the moon go when it phases out and why are leaves green and why do they change color and i mean just all these curiosity and all these things about life that we ask if those if those kinds of questions are not encouraged and reinforced then we stop asking it's a psychological reason that stops us but it's a spiritual loss if we don't reactivate that questioning again and I think that what I've said on this show many, many times is, is that uh, 
spirituality and the pursuit of, of understanding of self is, is not about finding answers. It's about, about coming up with better questions. And that if you're not reinforced to do that, uh, then you won't. And, and you will feel the spiritual loss of that. You, you will feel it in your gut, literally. I'm, I'm wondering um, about the, the inner voices. And, um, you know, once we become a mature adult and hopefully in our um, journey through life, we kind of um, become present in, in the ego. If the ego is present, do we still have those inner voices? Yes, of course. Yes, yes. Freud, you know, labeled those ego states one thing. I think Eric Byrne is the one that, uh, that, the, that the council community is familiar with, which is the parent-adult-child ego states. What I want to say is, is that the voices that predate all those guys, <laughs> that predate all of that, that are thousands of years old in ancient texts all around the world, is mm. uh, counselor, critic, mediator, and bully. Mm. And those four voices, when you hear those titles, counselor and mediator, you can see that those two voices would be connected to the heart and to the soul of who you are, which means soul and spirit of who you are, where the uh, the critic and the bully would be tied to the ego. And the bully is just a, just a darker or more shadow version of the critic. What's profound about that is those voices are kind of inherited from the culture that we are born into and then and then reinforced by the collective culture. But they are always dialoguing. They are always there. They may not be activated and you may not feel a direct connection to them. What, what we tend to do is we put people in places of those of those inner voices, like a grandmother. We've talked about this on previous recordings that um, if you had to pick somebody in your life as a child, and I've asked this of countless clients in my life is, uh, you know, who you thought was one of those inner voices that helped form some sense of compassion for yourself or some sense of positivity. Everybody goes to their grandmother on that answer. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, and so, so you already see that the grandma is the counselor and, mm -hmm. probably, and probably also the mediator. But we all have these, these voices. What we don't have is a conscious connection to them always. And of course, the, the goal in, in spiritual work even the goal in psychological work is to not get these these forces to be opposing. Hmm. But remember, the idea of the soul, spirit, ego, and heart is, is that they have a symbiotic relationship with one another, which means they're all working towards the same end, which is presence, freedom, and expression. The inner voices are, if you understand them, are also working to the same end. So in other words... The inner voices really are, if, if understood and if looked at feeling versus emoting, is how we mature. One of the things that, that happens to addicts is that when they find drugs, and, to, and many of them find drugs in middle school, which is around the time when hormones are kicking in, they never really learn how to cope with their emotions, which is fueling these inner voices. Yeah, and so the drugs medicate that. Yeah, and, and and so it becomes a self-medicating process, uh, and that's what they're medicating are these inner voices. And of course, uh, the more addicted you are, and the more lost you are to your own psychology, then the critic and the bully is is in charge. 
There is no counselor. There is no mediator, you see. And that's what Carl Jung would call the human shadow. It's what psychology calls pathology. Either way, when you have these inner dynamics working against each other instead of working with each other, then you have a stuck moment in your life, you see. And um, yeah, that really clarifies. I mean, that makes me um, able to see the inner voices in a different way than I initially was because. In my mind, I looked at the, the critic and bully as like being judgmental and kind of negative and the mediator and counselor kind of, you know, compassionate and empathetic. So in my mind, there was like a good and a bad. And so that would be kind of an opposing, you know, like a power <laughs> struggle. But it, now the way you just said that, it makes sense that we need all of them and they need to be communicating together towards our own good and the good of others. We've all been exposed to counselors and mediators, but the ones that have the the harshest impact on us, the ones that we remember are the critics and the bullies. We have one inside of us because that's been our experience. Everybody does. Why is it important to not see them as negative? Well, because the critic needs to calm down and the bully needs to heal <laughs> the critic needs to learn self-acceptance for example like like for like for example guilty people mm-hmm. have a very powerful inner critic uh they may not be critical of others but they're very critical of themselves and uh and so there there has to be a healing of the critic in a in a forgiveness and an acceptance and an integration of the bully you don't reject these parts of the self Mm-hmm. And the counselor and the mediator make that possible. The heart is tied to the mediator because that is the middle, the middle path, the heart. Mm-hmm. And, and so too is the counselor, but the counselor is also tied to the soul because the soul is the witness and the observer of this experience mm-hmm. uh, oh. and sees the whole of it. So it's, it's kind of like the, the chairman of the board, if you will, the soul. Uh, is it's watching the dialogue and observing the interaction it's seen it's seen everything from objective view and so what the soul will do is orchestrate scenarios in our lives that will force us to deal with our critic and deal with our bully and learn these emotional adaptations so that we can stop being just strictly emotional animals and move back to a feeling present tense kind of being yeah if you can imagine that the voices are there for the sole purpose of us learning how to become more emotionally mature. And why? Well, because we experience emotional immaturity uh, in our lives and and we've been involved in emotional immature kind of scenarios. And so we've had to sort that out. So like I said, we, we have a critic inside of us because we were exposed to a critic. We have a bully inside of us. It's just a matter of how intense and to what degree. And so look what that says about the bullying problem in the school system. I mean, we already know that people that bully have been bullied, but we're not talking about that everybody has a bully inside of them, whether they were bullied or not, because we have a side of us that is relentless in its criticism and relentless in its shaming of us. And that side is the is the human shadow. And it depends on how tense, uh, how intense and how volatile our early kind of experiences were as to how volatile and intense those dynamics are. But they're very important to understand because spiritually, 
if we are feeling beings kind of trapped in a psychological experience, then it makes perfect sense that we need to understand the emotions that have come out of, of that experience. And remember a, that an emotion is a feeling that's paired with a belief, which we now hold as truth. And then it has an emotional residual attached to it, uh, whatever that truth may be. And the belief can be positive or negative. The ones we tend to uh, gravitate towards uh, in our sense of self are the negative ones. We have we can more list those negative uh, qualities than we can the positive. I'm wondering um, the importance of the shadow as a motivator um, connected to passion, being passionate. And but that's really um, when somebody is passionate in their life. Um, especially in the younger years, how we really should kind of encourage that because that's leading them towards such a wonderful place. And it seems like in our society that that, that passion, which is connected to, to shadow, is really kind of not an acceptable thing. It's, it, I don't think it's seen as a, a positive thing. Well, we've talked about uh, passion on other shows before or other recordings before, and we, we've got to get real clear on there's two different kinds of passion. There's passion that is tied to longing, which is uh, this this idea that something in my life is missing, uh, which is typically some aspect of authenticity and, and real self. And then there's desire, that, which is which is passion, which is there's something that there's something absent or lacking, um, and uh, and so the longing comes from a, a, a desire by the human spirit to be reconnected to the source mm -hmm. where where the desire is more about trying to fix something that's broken. And so what you're saying is, is that we we start out in the world kind of longing to be connected, to not be separate from our true authentic selves. But mm -hmm. then as a result of our of, of our of guilt and shame, we get divided and as a result of the separation that happens very early on in our life from the source uh, that most of the emphasis is put on the psychological division, not the separation. Mm -hmm. So um, the reason that it's squelched in young people is because if I'm, if I'm at the mercy of my desires, I'm going to act out. In other words, I don't have any idea that I'm longing for something. Yeah. I think, I think I'm desiring something that I'm lacking. So we get those two kind of merged and don't realize the subtle difference between them. And it's a huge difference overall. This idea of knowing what's going on inside you, you know, the tagline on my website, which, by the way, is always under construction. The tagline on my website is, is that when we lose confidence in our inner voice, we live in fear of it. Well, there's another piece I want to add to that tonight. And so, therefore, we're afraid to ask why. And we follow the guy up front. When we lose that inner inner confidence and we lose that that desire to ask why or that curiosity about life, uh, it's a major it's a major hit to the to the to the spiritual development of who we are. And we go a lot of years not really understanding and knowing that until something rattles us. And then that's when we'll, that's when we'll pay attention to it. Yeah. So the the thing that I wanted people to get in a moment of despair or just in life in general, are we, to, are we to be submissive? Because that's one of the, one of the issues of, of asking why. So why can't we then ask the big questions about life? And the short answer is 
because we are told to submit to whatever the reigning authority is of the culture, the masses, the the majority, if you will, uh, the politically correct, whatever the language is, to submit to that. And in doing so, we are left with uh, no path back to self. Uh, and and really, that's the that's the whole goal of spiritual work is you know how do I how do I um, get back to what and who and when and where and why I really am? How do I get back to that? And and it's it's by asking questions, it's by self understanding and in, in, in those kinds of things. Uh, and if you want to if you want a sense of how powerful that is, you know I bring this up all the time to Irma when we're off the air. Is I remember how how it, when I was a kid we used to wait until you know couldn't wait to be twenty one years old because we were going to be allowed to smoke and drink and do drugs and rock and roll right no more carding no more we would have a card that would show how old we were uh, now we live in a world where we are carded and ask our birthday no matter how old we are and and the question would be that is it right. Or, or is it the law? And what's happened is it's now the law. And, and what does the law throw out the window? Well, it throws out common sense. I mean, somebody looks at me, they clearly can see that I'm older than 21. But it doesn't matter because the reigning authority has said, card everybody. Well, if you don't think that's a big deal, that little stupid example is a big deal. It's a liberty. It's a freedom that we are losing in the culture because we're not allowed to ask why. And when I ask why, when I go in and I get carded at these places, the answer is, well, if I don't do this, I'll get fired. I'll lose my job. And so my point being there is just because it's the law doesn't make it right. The same thing is true about the collective culture when we are asking the big questions about why, just because it may not be acceptable in some circles to ask why, it doesn't make it wrong. And so young people need to be encouraged to do that. The, the underlying thing I wanted folks to get today about this business of inner voice is, is that this counselor, critic, bully, and mediator is created for you to emotionally uh, mature and grow, but not to submit, not to give up, not to quit, not to give in, but to push forward towards some place of expression and freedom. Emotional maturity happens with experience. It doesn't happen by by avoiding the world around you. Emotional experience happens when you understand the dialogue that's taking place inside of you is trying to get to some solutions. It isn't there to take you out. But those are the, the big things that I wanted folks to get, that um, the natural state of the ego is anxious. The natural state of the of the inner voices is, uh, is opposition uh, because of this anxiety. You quiet this by understanding it, communicating with it, observing it. Yes. And that's such an important thing for, for all of us to be aware of, of these inner voices. And one of the main purposes of them is to emotionally mature us, which in that um, being emotionally mature, we're actually um, much stronger as individuals when we reach that emotional maturity because our emotions are not um, kind of controlling us. And there's an experimentation. I mean, it's trial and error, uh, you know, this business of emotional maturity. But we have to have some 
some trust from within ourselves. We have to have some uh, some faith, if you will, that we are connected to something larger than ourselves. And but what is the something else that we're connected to? Well, if you go too far out, then that's a whole nother discussion. If you stay close, then the connection would be to your own soul. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, that soul was a conduit to a larger idea of this. But the but I would just like to see people to understand that the something that they're connected to that's larger than them uh, is is their soul uh, larger in the sense that it is more intelligent. It is more awake. It is more present. It is more dynamic and more here and more more in this moment than most of us are at any one time. And so. So, yeah. And, and know how to communicate with it and know how to communicate with um, with your feelings. That's the crux of what the soul's intent is about. Tonight's particular show is about this idea that your inner voices are inherited by your family and culture. Some of those voices are positive. Some of those voices are negative. Notice I didn't say right or wrong. And you need to sort through those tension between the opposites, as Carl Jung would say, to understand what is true and to find out what is true for you in your life and in your circumstances. And the whole premise of the soul's intent is that having an inner life is important and not having one is groping uh, through this whole experience in the dark, not having an inner life. And I, I was I was thinking today when I was out, out hiking, when I said a minute ago, we have to have some internal faith. Why is it we say that faith moves mountains? Have you ever thought about that? I was thinking about that today as I was out hiking, and it, it occurred to me because it's a very critical part of hope. Faith is hope that has been rewarded. Uh, people that, ha that typically have faith have been hopeful, and that hopefulness paid off. In other words, they were reinforced for their hopefulness. People that don't have faith typically have been hopeful, and nothing happened. They were hopeful again, and nothing happened. And so they kind of lost faith because their hopefulness was never rewarded. Faith moves mountains because we hope. And what I thought about what came to me as I was having that, that inner dialogue today is everybody comes into the world is a hopeful expectation for the future. Everybody. And so that in and of itself is where hope begins. And you can really decide to remember that you were a hopeful expectation because as you notice, hopeful expectation doesn't say of what. It just says expectation, a hopeful expectation. If you keep it simple, it would be to have a future and to have a future that is mostly the expression of who and what and where and when you are. If you're having that, then the hopeful expectation that you started out as comes to fruition and it ends up becoming a life that is lived fully and awake. The spiritual dimension that everybody is from is uh, is on the other side of a veil that is the psychology of who you are. And if you can figure out how to get through the veil to see what's on the other side, you will find out you already have everything you need. You already will find out that uh, that you are perfect in your imperfections. You will already find out that everything that you thought was true probably isn't. But the one thing that's valid is that you are Still a hopeful expectation. Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. 
While problems manifest psycho-spiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And the soul's intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom, and how in an instant learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice.